Good morning. Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church. We're glad you're here. We are glad you chose to worship with us this morning. We know that you have several options and you could, one of them would have been to stay at home, but we're glad you honored the Lord's day and honored us with your presence and we're glad you're here. If you would, everybody would sign the friendship roll, pass it back down and uh, where you'll know with whom you're worshiping. If you'd like to join or know more about the church, please uh, put a comment or check mark there so that I can contact you. We're glad you're here and kind of just marinate with us, find out what we're like and who we are. But we enjoy having visitors every Sunday, and so um, your presence is felt and is encouraging. We always try to remember to give people uh, sympathies. Emmett Smith uh, lost his mother this weekend uh, after a long illness, and so we pray that he would know God's presence and promises as he uh, says goodbye to his mom. And so pray for Emmett and his family. The deacons meet this afternoon at 4.30. Uh, pray for them as they make decisions about how to spend your money in good stewardship of the ministries and of the building itself. Uh, ben is in Charleston along with Jacob. Both of them and their families went. Charleston has called a new pastor, and they went over there to take part in the ordination service. So we're glad they're over there assisting them as they welcome a new pastor to Charleston. Uh, ben will be here tonight to preach on Romans 3, 1 through 4. Men's prayer breakfast is uh, Tuesday morning, 645. If you've never come, uh, please try to make it a part of your day it's really when you think of prayer breakfast you know the big part of this is probably more breakfast and prayer to be honest but we do pray for things and have a devotional but we're not going to put you on the spot and make you pray uh, just come and be with us and fellowship with us and pray in your hearts so, along with the, the men in that church also Ted reminds us that we have a uh, covenant leap year chili contest seems like that that leap year contest has been every year so I thought this year we might leap over it, but we didn't. And so uh, I look back on the, uh, the list back there. We still have, Ted, we still have people that you need to call and get to volunteer. Uh, so anyway, we need some chili, chili cookers uh, for February 28th. Uh, with no more announcements, let's prepare our hearts to worship God together.
God has called us to worship him from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. You can find that in your bulletin. I will read the plain print, and we will read the italics together. This is the word of the living God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. how good it is to gather and to sing praises to your holy name. You who make all things new, speak to us. Stir up the hearts of your people on this day, Lord. We come here this morning gathering as believers, sinful and in great need of a Savior. Lord, we seek your truth. Not a truth, but the truth that can only, that can only be found in your word. May it touch not just our intellects this morning, but also the deepest desires of our soul. To know you more and to serve your kingdom in a way that is pleasing in your eyes. So we ask you to guide our worship this hour. Take away any distractions that may be in us and fill us with your spirit. We ask these things in the name of Christ, who taught us how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. You'll find in your bulletin the Apostles' Creed, which we read most Sundays. Um, Carl Truman said this about the Apostles' Creed and, and confessions alike. The awareness of our beliefs creates security in our stance. When people aren't sure of what and the why of their beliefs, they often substitute their lack of knowledge with, with emotion and unbiblical presumptions. So Christians, as you stand, I ask, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, 
Please grab your hymnal and turn to hymn number 100. We'll sing Holy, Holy, Holy. have a seat. Our responsive reading this morning can be found in the back of your hymnal, page 834, Psalm 133. As you turn to it, I'll give you a quote from Matthew Henry. He says, the contents of this psalm are short, but very proper. It is the benefit of the communion of the saints. So again, I will read the normal print and if you, it will read together in the bold. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, great are you, 
and greatly to be praised. The heavens declare your glory, and the skies display the work of your hand. Your greatness is unsearchable. We cannot fully understand you, but your eternal power and glory can clearly be seen through your creation, leaving no man without excuse. No one, nothing can compare to you. You are the eternal God without beginning or end, who was the same yesterday and will be the same forever. You are an ever-present God, never far away and never to be escaped from. If we ascend to heaven, you are there. If we make our bed in the depths of this earth, you, you will be there also. God, how irresistible and immeasurable is your power. Indeed, everything in heaven and on earth is yours. All praise and all glory belong to you and to you alone. But even knowing all this, we still sin against you in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. We confess that we have not loved you with all of our heart and all of our strength. We have worshipped your creation more than you who created it. We have failed to honor you. Honor the God. We have failed to honor the God who gives us our very breath and sustains our every move. We have not obeyed your voice to walk in your ways, which you have plainly set before us. We have coveted our neighbor and his belongings. We are not content with all that you have given us. We seek great things for ourselves, even though you have plainly told us to seek them not. We lean on our own understandings, and we trust in our own hearts, even though they are easily deceived. God, cleanse us from these visible faults, as well as the secret ones that can be found in our hearts. By your Spirit, God, let the fear of God stand guard at our heart's door, examining everything that goes in it. We know this fear can only come from knowledge of you. God, please be merciful to us sinners and give us the desire to be in your word and so that from its teaching we may better see our sins so that we can truly repent and in faith turn away from them and towards our Savior. Bless us and cause your face to shine on us. Father, there are many here this morning who are, who are in mourning, who are sick, who are suffering from a variety of things aging bodies the pain of watching of watching loved ones who were once so strong become so dependent on others there are those of us that are lonely anxious Worried about our children and the souls and their souls. Worried about friends who may not know you. Worried about our own spiritual backsliding. Some of us are having problems at work. Some of us are facing financial burdens, family feuds. God, the list is endless. But so are you. We who are so weak, but you who created the universe by the power of your word and is not contained by time or space, you are so strong. And in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. So remind us, remind your people of this truth. Remind us of who you are and the promises that you have made to us, to those who come to you in faith. Well, we, we pray for all these who are sick and suffering. 
would lift them up to you, that you would heal their bodies and minds because you have the power to do just that. And that whatever your will may be, that we find comfort and peace in the arms of our good shepherd. And all these things, Lord, we do pray that your will will be done. We say that prayer, we say that phrase often. We say, we say it in the Lord's Prayer. And God, I ask that you would give us what we need to mean it when we say it, to understand it, and to long for it. Because we know that you are the giver of all good things, and that you, are the, you alone are the God who saves, and you come through with your promises. That your speaking is your doing. They are one and the same. Give us faith in this knowledge, faith that it's rest deep down in our bones, that we would know that you, our Heavenly Father, knows what's best for his children. God, be with Tim. Aid him this morning as he delivers your word. And by your spirit, open the eyes of your people that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand it and follow your ways. As your word tells us, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So make us hunger for this so that it may, mur- so that it may nourish us today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, please turn to hymn number 335. 335. Gracious Spirit, dwell with me. Please stand. Let's pray. Father, we gather to worship because you are worthy. You are high and lifted up. 
You are glorious, you're majestic, you're the king of all kings. Uh, you're sovereign, you're gracious and merciful to us, your people. Uh, we worship because you're worthy, but we also worship because we're grateful. We're grateful that you have saved us by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, being applied to us by the Holy Spirit, working in our heart faith and repentance. We're grateful for the Holy Spirit that opens our minds and eyes that we might see and understand your word. We're grateful for all the good things that you give us. We're grateful for the fact that we're not uh, an impoverished people. We're grateful that we have more than we could ever imagine, really. And so I pray that we might give the tithe and above that uh, the gifts. We might give them out of gratitude, not out of duty, not out of legalism, but out of delight and gratitude for what you've done for us in Christ. So receive our gifts, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Beautiful anthem. Thank the Tan children for uh, playing for us. Appreciate their talent and also their willingness to share it. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12. And we are in verse 12 where the writer is encouraging us to run the race that God has set before us. The word he uses for race is agony. So he's not talking about a sprint, he's talking about a long distance, a marathon, a difficult race. And he says, during that time you need to look to Jesus who has, uh, for the joy set before him, run ahead of you as the author and the perfecter of your faith, the beginner and the end of your faith. And not only are we to look to Jesus, we're to look to each other, and we're to look after each other. So this passage has a way of encouraging all of us to encourage all of us. So listen to the word of God, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12 and following. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see, to the, see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could not bring about the change of mind even though he sought the blessing with tears. This is God's word to God's people, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is inspired as God breathed so that every word is valuable, helpful, encouraging, strengthening, convicting. And I pray that you would, you alone who know all of our hearts and all of our needs would apply this passage to the needs of your people that we might uh, live for Christ who died for us. And we pray in the name of our Savior. Amen. And there was a Special Olympics race held several years ago, and they were running the 220-yard dash. Those of you familiar with track, that's basically a half a lap around the track. And it was obviously one boy was faster than everybody else. His name was Andrew. And Andrew got close to the finish line. He was about 50 yards ahead of everybody else. And he looked back to see what was happening behind him, and he saw that his friend had fallen down. And so he stopped, and he goes back to help his friend. And everybody's yelling, finish the race, finish the race, you know, wanting him to win. And so Andrew ignored their pleas and cries and encouragement, and he went back, and he helped his friend. Instead of finishing first, they tied for last. Andrew was not like most of us, quote, normal people. He didn't think that finishing first was more important than helping his friend finish. I think that story kind of encapsulates, summarizes, illustrates the whole story of the gospel that we read this morning. That the issue isn't about us winning. Uh, the issue is about us finishing and helping other people finish along with us. And so this morning, I want us to look at several things. I want us to look at our attitude towards others, meaning others in the church, our aim, which is for holiness and peace, 
and what to avoid, which is things that make us stumble and fall out of the race. Our attitude towards others. Now, before you look at that, I want you to look at the structure, maybe the logical structure of this passage. You notice in verse 12, it starts off with therefore. Anytime you find a therefore, it's a logical conclusion to an argument made previously. It is a conclusion to what has gone before in the previous verses, maybe even in the previous chapter. And here it is going, it is pointing to the logical conclusion of people in a race, a hard race, a long race, a race of endurance. It's encouraging to people who are are being disciplined by God and, and finding some hardships in their life, whatever it may be. And those people are nevertheless Christians fighting this tremendous fight of the faith and running this, this awful race of life for some people. And they're discouraged and they're despairing and they're exhausted. And the logical conclusion is, therefore, strengthen the feeble arms and weak knees. Help those people. It's logical. If you are in a difficult encounter with something in life and you've successfully gone through it, then God has done that so you may comfort and strengthen those who are going through it behind you. The therefore is we're not in this alone. We're in this together. And then I not only want you to look at the structure, I want you to look at the grammar. The grammar of this is strengthen your hands and your feeble knees. And when you look at that word your, we all know that grammatically in, in English it's hard to talk about your and know whether you're talking about your one person, you know, like your role in the church or your role in the church. And so you have to depend on the Greek to find out what is being aimed at or who's being aimed at and this is a second person plural pronoun which means it's a southern pronoun it's y'all you all everybody it's not written to one person it's not written to Teresa strengthen your hands Will strengthen your knees Wendy strengthen your ankles you know it's not written to one person like that it's written to the church and it's written to the people of Christ in a particular location, that we're like the army, we leave no one behind, that we want to finish and we want everybody to finish with us. I don't know about you, but when you watch people do long distance races, everybody's kind of pulling on, pulling for everybody else. I know people run and none of the people that I know that run really run to, to come in first. They, they never anticipate being first. They, they want to finish. And everybody else in the race is basically doing the same thing. They're wanting to finish, and they hang around, and they encourage everybody until they cross the, the finish line. That's the idea. This encouragement is don't drop out. Don't give up. Don't be despairing. Don't be discouraged. Don't be, don't be, don't be. And so there you have the grammar. You encourage one another. Everybody encourage somebody. Everybody helps somebody. Everybody look after the whole. And then not only do you look at the structure and the grammar, I want you to look at the vocabulary. The vocabulary is really interesting. He says, strengthen your feeble hands 
and your weak knees. The idea of strengthen is anaortho. Ortho, orthodontist, straighten your teeth. Orthopedic surgeon, you know, straighten your bones. Ortho. It's a straighten something that's crooked. So straighten or strengthen your feeble hands. You know, fix it or set the bone right. And I like the idea of weak knees. The language could be your loose knees. You know, uh, you, you ever watch uh, pro football or college football? And everybody, it seems like, has weak knees because everybody wears these, these great big braces on them with metal hinges. You've seen them. And that's to keep them from those chop blocks hurting them. But the idea here is they're strengthening, strengthening their, their knees, their loose knees, keep them from being hurt. And then he talks about these, these, the lame may not be disabled. And the idea of the lame means you're already hurting. And disabled means don't let the lame be put out of joint. And so, in other words, it's kind of like, don't let this lame person that's running with a bad ankle, don't let him dislocate his ankle. And as you look at that and you say, what is the big deal about all that grammar like that? Is it's, It sounds like a mash unit. It sounds like strengthen this hand that's, uh, that's broken and, and tighten up that knee and watch that ankle that's already sprained and, and, and help them with these level paths. Some of your translations have smooth paths. The idea might be either it could be straight or it could be smooth. But either way, if you had a crooked road where a runner had to run, all the turns would be bad for his ankle that could be dislocated. And so what you need is a straight uh, race or either you need a smooth place to run. But the idea is this is helping somebody that's limping or traveling weekly towards life and you are to help them to be their ortho man and it's obviously a very common phrase in the bible because if you knew your bible like these jewish people knew their bible they would know that isaiah talked about people in the same way in isaiah 3 in verse 3 it says strengthen the feeble hands steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. Your God will come and save you. So he was quoting them something they knew. These Jewish people had to be encouraged that they were being spoken to like the saints of old. You know, it's hard for us to get across the idea to a lot of people I'm not probably talking to you. That's kind of crazy. I am talking to you. I should say I'm not talking about you. But it's hard to convince our culture that we live in that you need the church. You need other people's prayers and gifts and encouragement and help and exhortation. You need other people. You need other people to make it through life and finish it well. And so many people in our culture, I think that uh, I heard a statistic, and it's an old statistic, 27% of people belong to a church in America. 
And if you ask people why do they not belong to the church, it doesn't do me any good, or I don't believe it, or they're full of hypocrites. And I want to say the problem is that you are full of yourself, and you think you can do life by yourself, and you cannot. You need somebody to encourage you. I am reminded about William Cooper and John Newton. You know John Newton. John Newton, the slave trader. John Newton, the one who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. But William Cooper wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. He also wrote, Our God moves in mysterious ways, His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea, and He rides upon the storm. But you probably have forgotten that uh, William Cooper was a person who suffered from severe depression. And he had a friend that understood that, and so William Cooper happened to live in the same town as John Newton, and John Newton was his pastor. And John Newton encouraged him, and they were such good friends that it said for 12 years, now 12 years, listen to this, I think this was Newton who wrote this, for 12 years, they never were apart from each other except for the length of seven hours a day. Maybe while they were sleeping or doing something else. 1752 and 1763, I believe, William Cooper had severe depressive episodes. But nothing compared to the one he had in 1773. That he had a probably had more than just depression, but he thought God told him to kill himself. And he tried to commit suicide, and he wasn't successful. But he was forever affected by that episode. John Newton, being his pastor and his friend, took him into his house for 14 months. 14 months. And then for the next 12 years ministered to a man who battled severe depression. And when they, when they got to the last day and John Newton had helped him finish the race with faith, although his faith was battered and torn, John Newton did his funeral and he preached uh, this passage. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, a bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And he made the point, and here's how he applied the point. I know of no text in the whole book of God's Word more suited for the case of my dear friend than the one I just read. He indeed was a bush in flames for 27 years, but he was not consumed. 27 years he lived with chronic depression, after that suicide attempt. And by the grace of God and the hand of John Newton, he finished with faith. The question I ask you is, do you know of a friend that you know needs your help? Not do I need help. Maybe you do need help. Call out to us. Depression's a terrible thing. Despair is a terrible thing. Loneliness, hurt, all of those things. Do you know somebody that you can reach out and help? Everybody could help somebody.
The second thing is not only your attitude to others is one of helping, but your aim is to pursue holiness and peace, or peace and holiness. Make every effort to pursue peace with all and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's quite interesting that peace and holiness are put together as equals. You know, it says pursue peace and holiness. Not peace or holiness, or then holiness and add peace to it, but it puts them as, as equals. And that's kind of unusual. When you were think about holiness, the, the word that goes with holiness is probably not peace. Is it? It wouldn't be for me. Might be godliness or sanctification or it might be something like that, but peace. But you cannot be holy without being at peace with people. The Bible commands us if God has forgiven us, we forgive other people. If God has graciously accepted us, we accept other people. If, uh, if people are we know we have an offense against somebody or somebody's offended us, it tells us to leave our gift at the altar and, and go and be reconciled to your brother. That the people of God being right with them, reconciled with them, is an important part of being holy. And even to the point where in Philippians chapter 4, you have two ladies in that congregation, Eodica and Syntyche, they're arguing about something. We don't know what they're arguing about. It obviously isn't a gospel issue, meaning it's not an essential doctrine of the faith. And so Paul tells the church, you help these two ladies get it together. He doesn't say, okay, uh, pastor, get these two people in your office and straighten them out. He, he tells the whole congregation to help these people get together. Now, sometimes it's not possible for peace to exist, and y'all are getting ahead of me, I know. Romans chapter 12 and verse 16 says, As far as is possible with you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes peace is not possible. Sometimes it's not possible because the other person doesn't want to reconcile. And that is a very sad situation for Christians to find themselves in. But you go to them and you say, hey, I'm sorry, I'd like to be your friend. You No, you've hurt me too bad. I can't forgive you. I'll never forget. It'll never be the same. I'll never, you know, it's just bad. And they're not willing to forgive and reconcile and not live at peace with you. R.C. Sproul, in one of his sermons or one of his classroom lectures, I remember him telling the story about when he was a young pastor, he had offended somebody. Can you imagine R.C. offending somebody? Probably every day. But anyway, this older man he had offended, and uh, he went to him, and the guy wouldn't forgive him. He went again, and he wouldn't forgive him. And R.C. went to one of the older godly men in the congregation and said, what do I do? And he said, you've already done more than the Bible requires, that once you've asked to be forgiven genuinely, the ball is in his court. So as far as possible, you be at peace with all men. And holiness. Without holiness, you'll never see the Lord. Uh, what do you think of when you think of holy? Probably a better way to translate this for our understanding would be sanctification. Without sanctification, no one will see the Lord. And some of your translations have that. 
Because the only way that we would be holy like God, be holy as God is holy, is in a forensic, justified state. But this is talking about something we pursue. And what you pursue is holiness is known as sanctification. And you say, okay, Tim, I can't spell sanctification. I sure don't know what it means. And that's where, in the province of God, we have the shorter catechism. Y'all tell Ben I used the catechism because he'd be proud of me, okay? The shorter catechism. The shorter catechism says sanctification is a work of God where we are enabled to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. And so what this passage is saying, unless sanctification has taken place in your life to some degree, then you cannot be assured that you are going to see God. It means that a mere profession of faith, I one day walked the aisle and one day signed a card, but it's made absolutely no difference in my life from then on. That's not pursuing sanctification. And I can't tell you, and I, I, this grieves me, funerals are hard for me anyway, but it's hard when I have to do a funeral and you talk to the family and they say well when he was at camp one one summer he gave himself to the lord well what church he didn't go to church well i i just know he knew the lord is you know he never went to church never did anything i'm going man what do you have to build a sermon on but the bigger issue is what do you have to build a hope on without holiness, without a pursuit for holiness. Now let me say this. If you were to chart your sanctification, it'd probably look like the S&P 500. Some of y'all know what that means. You've watched your money go up and down and up and down and up and down. And you maybe call your investor on those days when it drops a lot and you go, what do I do, Andrew? And he says, look, take the long view. Take the long view. Look at it from when the thing started to now. It's always up and down, but its general trend is up. Is your sanctification's general trend up? You might not be what you ought to be, but are you different than you were? Has God changed your life in any way? And it says make every effort for holiness. Too. Holiness isn't that you just... Let go and let God. That as you walk with God in fellowship, He shows you his sin, our sin. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has this vision. He sees the Lord lifted up and he fills the temple. And he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And then, then he says, but I'm a, full of sin. I'm a sin. What was me? I'm a sinful man. I dwell with a sinful people. My lips have betrayed me. He talks about, I've said the wrong things. Your lips are connected to your heart. He recognizes in the presence of God that he's a sinful person and his mouth has given him away. And the angel comes and he takes a coal from the fire and he touches it to his lips and says he's cleansed. That's a picture of what walking with God does to us as we walk with God day by day and week by week and year by year. God gradually, graciously, mercifully shows us our sin and we repent of them and we become more sanctified people holiness is basically preparing 
to live in the presence of God. So now we have, what do we avoid? The attitude that we have towards others, the aim is holiness and peace, and what do we avoid? The warning is a common warning. And you see where it says, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless. The idea of see to it that no one is addressed to the congregation. And what it means is it's the same word, root, that we get our word shepherd, under shepherd from. A shepherd that looks after his people. He sees after the sheep. But here it's saying it's not just the pastors and the elders and the deacons, the officers of the church, but it's our job as individuals, as a corporate body, to see after each other. To watch after, to make sure that we're still plugging along, limping along, that we haven't dropped out or haven't, quote, fallen short of the grace of God. What a passage. Make sure that nobody's fallen short of the grace of God. What in the world is he talking about? We once again go to, how does God give us grace? You know, that's a question that, that you ought to be able to answer. How does God give us grace? You know, grace is, I just tell the community, grace isn't just something you grab it up here and you grab it over here and you grab it up here, you know. We talk about the means of grace. Where God gives us grace through the word, through prayer, and through the sacraments. That if you want to have grace, that you study the word of God and you ask God to speak to you through that. And then when you come to the table, you ask God to forgive you and to strengthen you for the journey that's ahead of you. And so what he's saying, do you see people that are dropping out? That's the reason our call to worship was, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I think the apostle here, the writer here, is basically saying, look around. Who is usually here, and they're not here. They're not hearing the encouragement. They're not here hearing the gospel. They're not here hearing the promises of God. They're not here talking about the cross and forgiveness. They don't hear the words of grace. And so they fall short of the grace of God because they remove themselves deliberately from it. That makes sense. Take a, take a, go back to the race. You know, you ever watch these road races? And I think that I'm one of the few people that like to watch road races. I think the TV calls me and said, hey, there's three people watching it. What do you think, Tim? You know? But, you know, they run by these tables and they grab a drink and they squirt a little bit in their head and mouth and then they squirt it all over their head. They're taking advantage of the hydration so they won't get dehydrated and cramps and all that and fall out later. But what if a man tried to run from beginning to end and never took any of that nourishment? Their chances of finishing would be very small. There's grace for your need. John Blanchard says there's daily grace for daily needs. There's special grace for special needs. There's dying grace for dying needs. The grace of God is always sufficient. And it's available. 
Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says that we should approach the throne of God with confidence that he'll give us grace and mercy in our time of need. There's a prayer. You want grace in your time of need? Pray. And God will be faithful. Root of bitterness. See that no one has a root of bitterness. This is also comes from a story out of the Old Testament that these Jewish people would understand. When they were in the wilderness, they, uh, they got angry with God and impatient that he, you know, manna today and manna tomorrow and manna the next day. And I'm sure the wives got together. You got another manna recipe, you know? You ever tried it with cactus or, or tumbleweed? Or you ever tried it with those berries? And yeah, they tried it and he died. Don't do that, you know? And you can imagine 40 years of manna. We want to go back to the leek and onions. And they not only had those things, they turned to other gods. And they became bitter people. And their bitterness and their ungodliness affected the whole group. And the apostle is saying, see to it that no one develops a bitter root in their life. It'll affect the whole congregation. You know, cynical, negative, critical, judgmental, legalistic people. They're infectious. And we need people sometimes to tell us that we're infectious in the wrong way. And then the last two is sexual immorality and Esau who is an ungodly man. And I'm going to combine those together because a lot of scholars believe that they do go together. That if you look back at Genesis and you see the story of Esau, you see where he married two pagan women. He married two Canaanite women he married outside of the faith. And so he was obviously controlled by his sexual appetite there. And not only that, you have all kind of extra-biblical literature from uh, ancient times that, that talked about his, his sexual appetite. And so a lot of scholars believe that this, these last two go together. And that Esau was a man that was controlled by his appetites, period. He was ungodly and because he, he focused on earth and not heaven. He focused on every day and not the eternal. He focused on the physical and not the spiritual. He focused on satisfying himself with good things instead of the things of God. And the example is the story. Remember the story? He came in hungry. And his brother, Jacob, was cooking some beef stew. Denny Moore's beef stew. Had it in the pot, you know, and smelling good. And he was hungry. And he said, I want a bowl of that stew, you know. And he said, well, give me your birthright first. I can't do that, but I'm really hungry. And so they made a deal and a binding deal where he sold his birthright, which was a big deal. He was now considered the heir of all the things his father had at a greater degree than his brother. But he did it because of his appetite, because he was hungry. And then it says he sought did you see that? Some of your translations, unfortunately, uh, look like he tried to get God to forgive him and God wouldn't. Afterwards, you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He could not bring, a, bring about no change. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. 
He didn't seek repentance with tears. He didn't repent with tears. What he was sorry about is when, when Jacob got his blessing, he went back to his father and said, Dad, give me a blessing. Give me a blessing. And he cried about the, missing the blessing. And his dad said, it's too late. There's no blessing for you. But he was tearful about the blessing. It wasn't repentance. He wanted the gifts and not the what the giver had. When you look at uh, this passage, I think what you have to realize is that there is no day too late to repent. Now, I want to talk especially to young people and to young men maybe, or to all. There are things that you can be forgiven of that will have consequences that will never go away. There can be things that you do that God will forgive you and yet they will make you go through life in a different way because of that. I think about the young man several years ago over at Ole Miss. He was stopped by the police and the policeman's strap or something got caught in his mirror and the guy went away drove away and in the meantime killed the the policeman he was a member of a PCA church and Richie Sessions went to see him and he's probably forgiven but he'll spend the rest of his life in prison it's a drastic illustration but I remember Ricky Jones talking to our senior one year one stupid mistake can ruin your life and that's what Hebrews is saying encourage each other encourage the people not to do that not to fall into sexual sin not to live by their appetites not to run with the wrong crowd but it's never too late to repent and the amazing thing about our gracious God, He's willing to forgive. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have called us to race, to run a difficult race maybe for some, but thank You that we're in this together. Help us to encourage one another all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. May we be mindful of brothers and sisters in need. May we be like Christ in the way that he thought of others more important than himself. Thank you for the gospel that you love us so much you were willing to die for us. And may we trust you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen. Our closing hymn is, Oh Jesus, I Have Promised.
benediction reminds you not only are you in this together with all of us, that the Holy Spirit is within you and enables you to live a life that pleases Him. That's the promise. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good thing for doing His will. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Grace be with you all. Amen.